Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast, where we cover the news of the community and learn from each other. My name is Mark Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's jump into the news. First up, ElixirConf EU has been announced. It will be held in Warsaw, Poland from September 9th to the 10th. A few different speakers or agenda items have been announced so far. One is that Sasha Yurik, the author of Elixir in Action, will keynote. And Jose Valim, the creator of Elixir, will actually be interviewing Chris McCord, the creator of Phoenix Framework, at the conference. I think that's, a, that's kind of a fun thing to see. You know, Hopefully, that'll all be broadcast because I don't know that I'll make my way out to Poland this year. And speaking of which, uh, just a reminder, you know, ElixirConf uh, US was also recently announced. So I just want to remind everyone about that. It's going to be a physical conference and online conference October 14th through the 15th. Last week, we theorized a little bit about a PR that was up talking about introducing live session for optimized live navigation purely over WebSockets. Well, I just wanted to follow up now that it's been merged and documented. This adds a new macro to the router called live session. This is similar to the scope keyword that lets you group routes under a path. So live session will let you group live routes. This will allow live routes defined in the router to mount a new root live view without additional HTTP requests to the server. There's a few gotchas there, like you can't use your authentication plug because it's technically not making HTTP requests, so you'll have to always authenticate on the mount if you're doing this, but still, some cool changes. Something else I thought that was kind of interesting here is it's common to have like an admin backend part of your app, right? So slash admin, for example. And that has its own set of like permissions or its own live view, its own layout, you know, probably. So if you were to try to redirect to one of those different live sessions, right? So your admin section would be a a live session and then your user facing one might be a different live session. You won't be able to redirect there because it needs that new HTTP request to remount. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see and to see how, how to use this. Also, since we're talking about uh, LiveView, you know, a good part of LiveView, the stack uh, could be uh, Alpine, right? Pedal, that this is the A part of the Pedal stack. Uh, Alpine version 3 was released. And uh, this might mean, I'm still doing my testing on this, so if, if any listeners know about this a little bit more than, than I do, tweet us and let us know. Um, but you might have to update your LiveView hook when you upgrade Alpine to version 3, if you're using version 2 right now. The the update would be the up the the hook to copy the Alpine, you know, data that's on the old elements and when Phoenix LiveView patches the new element to uh to the DOM, we also need to bring Alpine along with that. And so uh you have to adjust a little bit of your your clone. I think that's the that's the function that we end up calling. You tell Alpine to clone the data from the old element onto the new element so that way it doesn't uh, get out of sync. So that hook might need to be updated. Uh, I've got a I've got a tweet we'll link to. It's got a little code snippet in there so you, so you can see. I think this works, but uh, I need to do a little bit more testing to make sure that there's no other gotchas. Uh, but heads up, Alpine V3 is out. Looks great. And just to clarify, because I know whenever we mention Alpine, some people get confused and are thinking Alpine Linux. This is Alpine JS. So it's a JavaScript library that works really well with LiveView. We totally enjoy it and we use it. It's part of that pedal stack, which is Phoenix, Elixir, LiveView, Alpine, and Tailwind. It's a, a wonderful combination that we just get a lot of mileage out of. But yeah, so just want to make sure if you're new to this and you're like, what the heck are they talking about? It's like, that that's what it is, AlpineJS. <laughs> the Co- Alpine Co- version of Elixir. <laughs> Co- Co- <laughs> Coincidentally, I usually uh, run all, all my deployments off of Alpine Linux too. So there there could be a double meeting there in the in the pedal stack. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Because I do too. <laughs> pet, pet, pedal <laughs> stack. <laughs> Next, I just wanted to mention that ARM support for OTP24 JIT was merged in a couple of weeks ago. So exciting to see that moving along. The next one is kind of a bigger one. It's Livebook 0.2 was released. This is the one that Jose had teased about with this little picture of like a film reel or an audience kind of thing. And what we end up learning is that this is actually called Kino, K-I-N-O. So depending on your pronunciation, it might be sound different, but it means cinema. So Jose created a 30-minute video on YouTube showing some of these new features and explaining things. So some of these things we kind of talked about before as PRs that hadn't landed officially yet. So some of them are now out. And that includes inputs, the ability to have an Elixir cell that takes like an input that's placed above it where you can 
you know, give it maybe a user ID or a, a start time or a date or different kinds of input that might be used in the Elixir cells. The other big feature is, and really, you know, Jose kind of buried the lead on this one. It's 18 minutes and 52 seconds. We have a time signature link to that point in the YouTube video where Jose really kind of shows what's super cool about it. And that is the Kino feature, which is kind of live book for the front end. So it lets you define and work with JavaScript on the front end to dynamically update and animate data changes. And he has some really fun examples it's a it's a fun example, a way of like showing real-time updating graphs and things like that. So a lot of fun, exciting stuff happening with Livebook. Yeah, one of the things that I liked was just a basic little explore section that they added when you booted up for the first time. And, you know, like those introduction pages are really important. And when they look nice, it looks like a really polished product. So it has a bunch of like example docs and like how-tos to do different things and just really slick looking yeah, I, at the meetup I went to, it was super easy to just Docker pull the live book image and get it running. And it was great to have that REPL up and like take notes on the markdown. And I saw the explore section on there. It was, this is, this is really nice. <laughs> at some point near the end in the video, he pulls up this graph of all the processes and maps them by like their memory usage and something else. And then he's like, and look, you can just click on it and he clicks it and it just takes you to the live dashboard for that process that was an outlier. <laughs> and then it has all the data on that process. And that's really exciting. I don't know. I could just see so many possibilities here. You know, we've talked about how how uh, we're we're kind of abusing Livebook here, but they're they're doing this, so I don't yeah. I don't think we're abusing it anymore. <laughs> this is sanctioned abuse. <laughs> yep, I think there's just too much power in it. It's like it just kind of bleeds out. Another thing that was kind of released uh, around Livebook just not too long after this uh, 0.2 release was a, a new feature in Kino called Data Table. And so this is like a JavaScript front end little widget or display that works on your live book page where you can fill a, a data table full of data. And then using like JavaScript, I haven't actually looked at the implementation to see how it's working, but then you're able to click on the titles to like change the sort. And so it makes it a little bit more of an interactive data table, which is really nice. It's just a, a great way to make the data more approachable. And another little feature was that they added the ability to display the timings of how long an Elixir cell took to run. So that is more of a deal when you're doing something that's longer running, maybe some actual machine learning stuff. But it's just kind of cool that, uh, you know, you get a little hover over thing. So I just thought it was awesome seeing like that stuff is coming out almost at like a breakneck pace. Next up is a new little library that was announced called Off-Broadway OTP Distribution. So not the catchiest name, but it's very descriptive. So the idea, you know, the Broadway pipeline kind of thing is great for processing lots of data in a pipeline where you're having lots of steps and you can expand it out and make it parallelizable and everything. And so what this is doing is adding actual distribution to it. So you're able to run different pieces on different hardware and different machines and have the distributed messages passing across that. So I think it's an interesting thing, especially could be interesting when you talk about certain machines having access to different hardware that might be like machine learning focused or GPU for, you know, graphic processing or something like that. There might be reasons to actually distribute it, but I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, I've actually been doing some Broadway stuff at work recently. So I, when I saw that come across on Twitter, I was like, oh, that's interesting. I could maybe use this for a few things. Um, I think Broadway <laughs> is a really cool tool. Yeah, yeah. So, so Broadway is like more of a connector to these streams of you know events that can be consumed, right? A producer consumer thing. Flow and Gen Stage is are, are those things that provide the the fan out processing kind of stuff that you mentioned earlier. And so Broadway already has adapters like Kafka and RabbitMQ, and this one is an off Broadway. It's not official, you know, right? To Broadway, but this one is adding a connector to uh, nodes, right? So OTP, so Gen Gen Server Casting, you know, that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think this is pretty interesting. I don't work enough in, in distributed senses like that, though, where where, where I, I have to uh, you know do multi-node processing like that uh, through purely OTP. But this is really cool. I, I'm really curious about it. Also interesting about it is that they has two ways of, of pulling in messages, a pull mode or a push mode, uh, which I thought was really interesting. That's, that's, mm -hmm. that's pretty nifty. 
So I just wanted to mention the Gleam 016 released, and the reason we wanted to mention it is because it now looks like it can compile to JavaScript. So we'll leave a link in here, and if that's something that interests you, give it a look. And next, the asset pipeline rewrite was merged. So we talked about this PR previously. So what do you guys make out of this? What does this mean to you? Well, you know, I just wanted to mention that in this PR, they separated that single mono JavaScript file into multiple files. And I think that was funny because I know I've heard Chris McCord say several times that he never wanted to do that. And if he ever had to do that, that means there's way too much JavaScript. (laughs) So... (laughs) <laughs> Guess we have way too much JavaScript. Yeah, funny how things evolve. I don't know. I don't think. Uh, I don't think it's going to affect most of the folks, you know, using Phoenix or Phoenix Live View. So this this probably doesn't mean a whole lot to a lot of a lot of folks out there. However, I want to point out two things. It's rewriting the Webpack build pipeline um, and takes advantage of version five. Because so I know that there are several efforts there to upgrade, you know, Phoenix from Webpack four to webpack five so that that takes care of that and the other one is uh, this could open it up for other other node asset pipelines um like Vite or snowpack or other es6 module focused packagers to work better with with phoenix and phoenix live view so good uh good movements there i think but i think most of the uh most of the changes were internal to developers of phoenix uh, itself and phoenix live view right one of the things that they were trying to fix here too i know is that they wanted to be able to get source maps out of the box. So if you're mm. developing and you've got issues that need to, you need to be using the debugger for, you'll be able to see the source code now and step through that in the event that you need to go into the source of the Phoenix assets. So something just related that I saw, and I was going to put a link to this in the show notes as well, was the Elixir Roundtable number three, third episode of that. It's a YouTube video. They had Chris McCord come on and talk about it was some of the stuff that was kind of going on behind this PR. It was a very interesting insight into the JavaScript build pipeline problems that they've had. I was really feeling for them, just like, oh man, uh, it's like the Webpack issues. Because like I've had so many issues with Webpack over my career. It's a pain point for me. And just hearing all of them, some of these guys are JavaScript experts. And they're like, yeah, every, just the, the problems that they've dealt with and, and how they're trying to shift and move things away from that to alleviate some of these problems. It's a good episode to check that out if you're wanting kind of a deeper view into the mindset of what's going on behind these these changes. Yeah. Tooling fatigue, I think, was the theme there. Yeah. Too much churn. All right. Last up, Surface 0.5 was released. If you're using Surface, uh, this is a big change. This is a, a big change for, for you that there's a migration guide here. If you don't know what Surface is, Surface is a component and templating library that has a lot of compile time guarantees uh, on top of uh, Phoenix uh, and Phoenix Live View. So uh, what what are the changes in Surface? One of the changes is uh, the sigil changes from squiggle H to squiggle F. And that's because the H is now going to be co-opted into Phoenix proper. We've talked about this before. This is the the H-E-E-X new way of, of generating uh, actual HTML from, from Phoenix. So Surface is releasing that sigil for Phoenix to, to use, and it's going to use uh, F instead. Also, interpolation uh, syntax changes, templates changes. It uh, looks like most of the templating language in, in Surface is, is changing from the double handlebars to single handlebars. Templating with your tags is no longer just the bare tag name. It's now open bracket pound sign and then your tag name that that kind of stuff all those all the syntax really kind of changes so this is a big change uh so if you're using surface go check out 0.5 and read up on the migration guide that uh marlis published uh, very very helpful and still yet yeah, very excited to see these kinds of changes because uh that just means that we're getting closer to uh, a, a good a good solid stable release yeah, this is all pre 1.0 kind of thing. So this is where you're settling out on what is the API? What is the best experience? So yeah, it is exciting to see this develop. Well, that's all we have for the news. Today, we're being joined by our special guest, Lucas Sandroman. Lucas, welcome to the show. Hello, everybody. So Lucas, I'm, I'm glad you could come on because there's, you had a GitHub project that was recently kind of announced. And there's a lot of excitement that I saw kind of around this. The project is called Sorcerer. And it seems to be more about being able to analyze and look at AST Elixir code. So like it's a source code tool. And I'm excited to kind of see how that's used and some of the special things that it can maybe possibly do for us. But before we jump into all of that, 
I'd love to hear more about you. Like, where do you live and what kind of work are you doing? I live in the city of Lodos in Argentina. It's a city about 100 kilometers from the city of Buenos Aires. I have been doing programming as a hobby since I was about 10 or 12 years old. Mostly tiny games and web stuff. Professionally, I am an optician. I work with my brother at an optics store. So my work is basically selling glasses. I am also a supervisor in the Elixir Discord server, where we help other members of the community. Nice. So you're an Elixir Discord kind of moderator, I guess. That's really cool. I love that people are able to commit time to help keep our communities well-governed and a safe Mm -hmm. place for people to come and join. Yes, that's right. Did you say you were an optician then? And it's like you're specializing in vision, right? Not, you're not professionally a programmer. Did I get that right? Uh, yes, that's right. That is cool. So how did you get into Elixir then? Like what brought you here? <laughs> I'm curious, like, did you go through other programming languages first? I've been using Elixir since 2018. I was hitting some limitation of PHP and WebSockets, uh, personal projects. Uh, I then found Elixir and the Finnish framework, which had very good web, WebSocket support, and the language was very, very easy to learn. So my previous experience was PHP and JavaScript, mostly. Well, I'm really glad to hear that you thought Elixir was uh, an easier language to learn. So I, I feel the same way, but you know I'm biased. I've been <laughs> using it for a long time, so it feels really easy and natural to me. <laughs> but yeah, that is really cool. I'll be honest, I'm going to have a different way of looking at my uh, my my eye doctors now. <laughs> I don't really consider them, you know, as, as having their own projects, their own side projects, right? I just go in and get my eyes checked and go home. I don't think too much about it. But now I'm going to wonder the next time I go in, like, I bet you do either woodworking or coding. <laughs> Maybe we could jump into Sorcerer now and you can kind of give us an introduction to what this project is. Sorcerer is a library that helps you to parse Elixir source code and transform its AST while preserving the comments. Because the regular Elixir AST does discards the comments. So if you want to take your, some source code, transform it, and put it back to, your, to the source file, all the comments will be lost, as well as the formatting. It also has other utilities that allow you to do things like deleting a node from the AST or inserting sibling nodes, which are hard to do with the within Elixir functions like macro.postwalk or macro.prewalk. So I'm familiar with, with other languages that have these special comments formats like yard docs in Ruby. So you can kind of document the signature of a, of a method and what it, what it should return, what params it should take in, what's required, that kind of stuff. And, and all of that lives in, technically speaking, a, a comment. I'm not immediately aware of any of that happening in Elixir. So I'm curious, what are you wanting to do uh, with comments by preserving them with, a, with, a, with this library? Primarily, refactoring tools. So if you have a big project and you change some API and you want to find all the places that API was used, you could use rejects, but rejects are not aware of the context where the function is called. So you can't know if it's if the call is happening in a, in documentation or in actual code, so in a doc block. So if you were to parse the code with regular Elixir functions, you don't have the comments associated to that AST. So you go parse the file, change it, and when you want to print it, all the comments are lost. And all your private documentation doesn't live in a doc a module attribute. Is completely lost. So you can make localized changes without losing all your formatting or all your documentation. So that's the problem Sorcerer solves. For example, I was having a discussion with Marlu Saraiva, the Surface author, and Surface now has a converter that takes your old Surface code and changes it so that you use the new CGL for example, for that kind of modification, if you wanted to call to change a single function, 
you risk losing all the comments that are inside of, of that function or surrounding it. So it's a way to make lossless transformation of the sort of I see. Okay. So, so let me think of another example then. There's uh, in the JavaScript world, in a lot of React projects, I believe even, when they make a change, they typically also give you a script that would update your source f- code as well to, to make that same change, right? To apply that change to your source files. And so applying that to Elixir, there could be a script to upgrade your older Surface syntax to the newer Surface syntax. However, currently with the existing macro and, and AST, you know, modules and functions that we have, that would completely strip all the comments out of your, your source code. So Sorcerer, your library now, the effort here is to keep all of that <laughs> and analyze, you know, the AST that comes out and uh, target it a little bit more w- without, without stripping the comments. Is, am I getting that right? Yes, exactly. Cool. I have to ask, if you're not able to use the Elixir built-in language features for converting Elixir code into an AST, how are you going about that? Is that something you had to write yourself or you're borrowing it from another library? It also sort of depends on the Elixir formatter to produce the, to convert the AST to text and also relies on new functions that are coming to Elixir 1.13 that are the code and string to quote with comments that gives you an AST, the, the regular AST in your know, And also it gives you a list of all the comments found in that source file that you want to parse. So you have two separate data structures that you then need to somehow mix together back again and you want to output that AST. And it also relies on code.quoted to algebra, which is also a new function from Elixir 1.13. These two functions, uh, I had to send a PR to Elixir to introduce them because they were the, the missing pieces to enable these kind of transformations. Because the Elixir formatted is already about 2,000 lines of code. And if you were to do it yourself in userland code, you have to either bundle it or write your own. What I did was make that all the functionality available to us users so we can start building on top of that. And so sort of is the all the prototype code I already have built on top of my the, the vendor Elixir code. Uh, is available as a library. So it both builds on top of the new Elixir features and also backports it so you can use it in older Elixir versions than to 1.10. Gotcha. So your your PRs to expose the functions you needed for going forward was introduced, I think, in Elixir 1.13. And so you, you also put in the effort to backport some stuff to, to 1.10. Uh, that's pretty amazing. Um, the, the two functions I believe you PR'd into Elixir Core was uh, code.string to quoted with comments. I'm guessing it's with comments is the part that you needed out of that. And then the other one was code.quoted to algebra. Uh, are those the ones that you introduced? Yes, exactly. That makes a lot of sense, especially when you talk about like being able to reformat your code. There was another case where when I heard that the focus of your library was to help enable the use of comments and documentation, I thought of like the def delegate function, right? So def delegate is like, it's like a, a way of doing an alias just kind of re- to kind of create more normalized namespace organization where you can have like a top level namespace that has a bunch of functions that might spread out into multiple other modules and files. One of the problems I have with def delegate is it will say, oh, I can just kind of create a wrapper to copy and, and call this other function, but it never copies over any of the docs. And so then I either say, well, my docs don't actually live on the function where it's defined. I have to put my docs on the def delegate and as that's the main entry point. Or they're duplicated, and I don't want to do that because they always get out of sync. When I saw this, I thought, man, that would be kind of cool to be able to, you know, wrap a function and preserve the docs 
and comments that, well, the docs in particular in this case, and preserve the docs with the wrapped function. That was something I saw as a possibility for it. Is that something that you think could be done? The issue with that is that documentation is a module attribute. So you already have access to that information. There's a difference between function documentations, which are module attributes, and comments. Because comments are this, all that comes after a, a hash value. So when you want to document a function, you don't care about that because that's private. So xdoc won't be able to pick that. What you may want to use source04 is to navigate the AST to find what module attribute corresponds to the function that you want to document. Because you could say, well, I want to, do, to delegate to this module. So you find where that module lives, you parse that, that file, and you get the AST. And then you have to navigate that AST to find all the module attributes that corresponds to a function like a decorator, which the doc, doc attribute is. So what Solsor may, may help you to do is to say, well, I want to find the definition of this function. So you go there. And then it has an API that lets you say, well, I want the previous node. So you can say, well, I see if, I, if I am at a function definition, then the previous one may be the documentation or maybe the previous one. And so you can backtrack your position to find where the documentation is and then pick that up and inject it with your macro at the delegation place. Wow. So it sounds like you have a nice API for just being able to explore the way the code is structured. I think that might be why some of the tool developers like uh, Jason Axelson, he's one of the contributors with Elixir LS. He was one of those people who I saw was excited about Sorcerer just and what it might be able to let them do for working with the like IDE tools, which is kind of what you mentioned there, like with uh, we can do formatting, but also maybe be able to do some of those more complex functions or features where we might need to do a little bit more work. Like, let me find this where this function is declared and let me go pull out docs from the different from the module docs and be able to use Sorcerer to help navigate all of that. Is that kind of what you intended it for, is to be a, a tool for working with code like that? Uh, yes, Jason was the one that asked me to backport the changes to Elixir 1.10 because <laughs> Elixir LS can't wait to three years until the 1.13 version is the oldest supported version. So he was excited because of that backporting and also because of the formatting capabilities of Sorcerer. You can also use Sorcerer to navigate the AST, which is a big part of refactoring because you have to say, well, I need to find this pattern. And I also may need information about the surrounding nodes. So I need to go to a location and pick around, look around what's around that particular node, which you can do with macro post vault or pre vault because if it has a predefined order and you only know the current node. So you don't mm -hmm. have a way to say, I want to go back or I want to pick at a node that's far away, like finding the documentation or the type stack. Mm -hmm. So the main benefit for Elixir LS is the refactoring capabilities of Sorcerer, like the find a node, find map the AST node to a range in the source code, like you go, you find an, a function definition and your sorcerer can tell you, well, this happens at line six, column one to line 20, column 13, to say something. It enables you to do this kind of AST-based search and replace functionality, which is a big part of refactoring tools. Yeah, there's a lot of cool IDE things that could be added, right? Like, I know Java development, you can do cool things like find all usages of this definition and rename them to this thing. And mm -hmm. you can be confident that they were all renamed properly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, right now, when I do it, I'm just like, grep for 
everything that looks like the string and then I will go manually human parse them and make sure that that's what I was intending to find and replace. Well, I want to say that even with the current AST stuff, like you can do the the basic renaming, but Sorcerer could be smarter than that and also capture things like Def Delegate. Yeah. It understands the code rather than just looking for patterns. Right. Not just viewing it as text. Yes, you look for patterns, but the power is that you don't lose information about what the user wrote. So if you want to say, find a word, uh, for example, a string to Atom, which is an unsafe function, you could say, well, I want to replace it with a safer version, like string to existing Atom. If you have a comment that says, hey, this is temporary, we need to find a better solution, um, if you do it with the built-in Elixir functions, you lose that comment. You don't know the context that all the documentation that was related to that, to that line of code. So Sourcer lets you replace that function and also don't lose all the documentation around it. So yeah. the power is in the lossless transformation, not so much in the finding the pattern, because you always need to find the pattern to know what you need to change. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna dream dream a little bit with with uh, what we can do with with Sorcerer. Let, let me know if I'm on if I'm on the right page here, and Sorcerer can help with this. So Credo, Credo <laughs> also looks at source code and determines when you're doing anti patterns of some sort, and they have a lot of checks. All right, so let's say that I decided to take a user input, <laughs> a big list of strings, and then just turn them all into atoms. And uh, we would know that that could be problematic because atoms are not atoms are not garbage collected. So that could that could exhaust you know the the atom table resources. Yeah, right. I can crash the VM with that. Okay, so let's let's say that with Sorcerer. I could have something like Credo that would see that and say, hey, don't do this. And then also, optionally, like let's say that it's it's not exactly user input. It's not like I'm getting it from a Phoenix controller or something like that and turning them all into atoms. Instead, it's from a it's from a file that I'm compiling into the project. So it it appears like it might be user input, but it's actually a controlled source. So I could put in a comment above that that says, We're cool here. This is a good source, it's trusted source of strings that I'm turning into atoms. Does that sound like something that Sorcerer would be able to do here since it's keeping the comments and now I can use that as part of the information to inform, you know, my my tool like Credo that could do some analysis on my code? Uh, yes, exactly. Because the comments are tied to the closest node. So you could say, well, I found the unsafe function like string to atom. But in the comments associated with that node, you could look for a comment like, no, this is safe, or mm -hmm. whatever. And you can say, well, this node is safe, don't replace it. Nice. Gotcha. Credo was one of the, the inspirations for this project, because Credo knows to tell you what's wrong, but it can't say, well, this is how you fix it, right? So mm. With Sorcerer, you could automate that process and take the output from Credo, like this issue happened at this line, so you go there and check if the you could replace that pattern and replace it. And Nighty, like that uses Elixir LS, could show you a pop-up with a quick fix and suggest a fix for that particular issue. Yeah. So you don't have to fix it yourself. Anything to make me a lazier programmer. I think that would be great. <laughs> I think that's cool. Just the the power of being able to say, here is something that, that Credo or any other kind of tool identified as a problem and then using Sorcerer as an, something to help as a tool underneath it, you can say, fix it for me. And just it understands the code at a deeper level and can apply that change. I love that. Yeah, it sounds like this is kind of like the foundation for building some really cool, better developer experiences for the community, which yeah. will really propel the language further along. Is there any regex in this at all? <laughs> uh, no. All right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs>
you kind of maybe answered it here, but I was just kind of wondering about like, what was the problem you were originally trying to solve that made you think, I want to create a library that does this? I wrote an article about the Elixir ASD that showcased all the kind of nodes that you can find and also show some uses for the ASD, like writing macros or static analysis like Credo. And Don Sigalik, which is the organizer of the Elixir Amsterdam meetups, was interested in using the, the ASD to fix the Credo issues. So it all started there. So I started experimenting and prototyping and looking for ways to fix that problem. And that's where I started. It was precisely to automate the process of fixing Elixir, the Credo issues. That was the start, but as it not, it doesn't limit you to just fixing that kind of issues. So some people knew that it could be used for refactoring tools. So Andy Leak is working in a library that is for refactoring your code, which is called RFX. Um, it's still in development, but it's a tool that could have integration for NeoBeam or Elixir LS and would have would use Sorcerer for all this stuff, like finding where you have to do some changes, look at your project structure and find usages of your API and in an umbrella or or whatever. So that's work in progress. And you probably hear about it in the next few months. Yeah, looking forward to that. I do have to ask, though, because you've kind of mentioned some of these ways other people are using it or the, the collaboration. I am wondering, because this is a fairly newer library, it's fairly young still, are you looking for contributors? Do you want people to be able to help out? Um, yeah, that will help a lot because what we need right now is for more people using it so we can find, well, what are the issues with Thorcerer, what are the pain points of using it or of transforming the code in general. For example, Marlos Saraiva was trying it out for the surface converter because right now it has some limitation because it resets basis. So it can know uh, all the cases where the code can be changed. So it makes some compromises as to not mess up with your code, but it still leaves some, some changes up to you because it, it can know how to change them. So he was experimenting with them and after a discussion, we are working in some functions to do this kind of ASD based final replay and replays or generating a list of changes so you can show the user, well, these are the changes we want to do. So here's the div. So this kind of work is can only be possible if people start using it and we can have this kind of discussions. The okay, so I know that there were some proposals into Elixir Core. So I want to I want to sort out where that's where that's landing. So I know I know that you did PRs into Elixir Core to expose those two functions we mentioned earlier. So that's done. Where else you know could Sorcerer live in Elixir Core? Will, will it ever you know there? What what was where did we settle on the proposal here for Elixir itself to be able to keep? comments uh, metadata in the AST. Is that, do you think that's going to happen or is that destined to live? And is, is that why Sorcerer lives? That's the reason Sorcerer exists because if you want to keep the comments in the AST, you have to change it in a way that would be too much of a breaking change to be safely inserted into Elixir itself mm -hmm. because the Elixir AST is optimized for convenience in writing macros. So it is not regular and you can't have associated metadata for all of the nodes. For example, numbers or atoms or lists are represented by themselves in the AST. So you don't have place to insert the metadata. Mm. So an AST node is a three tuple where one of the elements is a metadata except for the cases of these kind of literals, like numbers and lists. 
I see. So if you want to keep the comments in the AST, you have to add a new type of node, which will be a comment node, which will break a lot of macros because they don't expect the comment node to be there. And also you will need to change the literal nodes so they take the three tuple AST node shape. And that would also break up the macros. So it is not a change that can be introduced in Elixir code. And it's up to the user to figure out how to combine the AST and the comments together. I see. So what I'm hearing then is if I install Sorcerer, I'm actually using Elixir 2.0. Does that sound right? (laughs) (laughs) Elixir AST (laughs) 2.0. Yeah, AST 2.0. I like that. The Sorcerer AST is actually based on the internal AST used by the Elixir formatter, which was a private API that uses the literal encoder option of the Elixir parser. It's actually a separate kind of AST, but it has the same shape. So literals are wrapped in a three tuple, and that's all the difference. So we can mm-hmm. keep the comments and other formatting information like did you use underscores in your numbers or did you use an escape pipe like backslash x05 for a number as a byte? That's information that gets lost if you keep these naked literals nodes. And the Elixir format resolves that by wrapping them. And that's what Sorcerer does. Mm-hmm. So it's using all the, what was all before private APR um, is now public because of the 2PR and so sort of reads on top of that. So it's kind of a compromise of having a, an alternate AST to keep all the metadata in the nodes, but it is not something that can be introduced as a, as a generic AST because of the breaking changes. One of the things that can happen a lot of times when you're editing code is at any given time, my code is invalid because I'm in the middle of writing something. So it's just, and that can really confuse some IDE tools because, you know, maybe a string is not closed yet, or I don't have an end on my function and it it can be very confused. But this confusion really helps because then when your whole file is yellow, you know (laughs) that you have a problem. (laughs) Yeah. So I was just curious, like this obviously is intended to work on working code. But how permissive is it when I'm dealing with code that's in the middle of being worked on? Sorcerer uses the Elixir parser. So if you have invalid code, it will fail with a syntax error. So yeah. we will need an additional parser, like a full total parser. That's not implemented. Maybe the tree seeder could be used to produce the AST from an incomplete file. And if that AST resembles closely the standard Elixir AST, then Sorcerer can work on that. But it can work out of the box with incomplete files. That'd be interesting. I, I wonder how, the, that can, how that can evolve. When people work on libraries like this and they're solving what is more complicated problems, that's why it hasn't been solved before, there's usually some part of it where they're like, they're really proud of it. You know, like, wow, I'm really pleased that this part worked out or something along that line. I'm just curious, is there anything in particular, a feature or an ability or something with the Sorcerer library that you're just pretty proud of? I think the nicest feature is that it lets you forget about the details of how Quoted to Azure function works. If you wanted to do this stuff by hand, you'd have to figure out how the Elixir formatter works under the hood the line numbers of both the AST nodes and the comments because they are two separate data structures. But Sorcerer lets you completely forget about all the details and just focus on transforming the AST because the formatter assumes that the comments are ordered, that their line numbers will align with the AST. And so if you don't correct all, all these numbers, then it will output invalid code or the comments will be misplaced and all that stuff. So Sorcerer lets you forget about that and just write the transformation. And also the nicest thing about Sorcerer, it is helping helping people to be aware of the changes coming to Elixir 1.13. 
that enable us to do all this kind of stuff. And also that it allows people to try these changes today because of the backporting of the features. So what I am proud of is to kickstart of all of the this kind of work in the Elixir ecosystem. Nice. Yeah. Some of those things you mentioned about Elixir 1.13, I was not aware of. I hadn't seen that stuff yet. We got some more stuff to look into. That's exciting. Uh, so one of the other things that I was curious about was this thing that you called a zipper API. Maybe you can kind of explain what that is and how that can help us when we're using the Sorcerer library. Yes. So I mentioned earlier that some navigations of the AST are hard to do with the built-in Elixir function, like pre-walk or post-walk, because you only know what's the current node, but you don't know anything about the rest of the tree. So you're kind of focused on one single point and nothing else. You don't know anything about the surrounding. A zipper is a data structure that represents a position in the AST instead of a single node. You have the what's called a focus, which is the current node, and also it has the metadata, which is the rest of the tree. So instead of having the position of the tree as the state of the traversal function, which you don't have access to, um, the, the position is the data structure itself. So you can tell it, well, go down a node, and the zipper changes, and you get a new zipper, which has the node behind, uh, below the previous one, and also the the rest of the tree. So you can say, I, I want to go down a node. I want to go up. I want to go to my siblings. Or I want to go to some other point, but you also, you always have the full context, like, you are sitting here and you got a perspective of the, the rest of the tree. So maybe it's easier to visualize with a list, which is a simpler data structure. So you can imagine a list from the number from 1 to 10. And you say, I want to sit in the number 5. So if you run the name number 5, that's your focus. And then at your right, you have your the number 6, 7, 8 in that order. And at your left, what you see first is the number four, then the number three. So you'll have at hand the closest numbers or positions around you. So you can say, I want to move one number to the left. So you pop the element at your left, and that's your focus now. And your old focus is now at your right. So you can move around the list. And all these navigation are in constant, constant time. The same idea applies to a tree, except you, your focus is a node, and your left and right and what's up and down is the context of the fiber. If you wanted to say, I am here, and I want to add a node to my right, so for example, if you have a multi-alias syntax in like that module foo dot, and you open the curly braces, and you have bar bus, and you say, well, I want to turn this into multiple calls to alias, which is also an, a credo issue. So you want to say, well, I have all these aliases, all these model names, and I want to turn them into multiple aliases. So you say, well, I am at foo, I will take the bar, that's an alias, and I say, I want to insert a new node next to me, that's the alias for foo.bar. If you wanted to do that with macro.possible or pre-work, you had to do some other thing like grab, grab all of this in a block and go up a level or wait until the function goes up a level, then find the block with all the alias and extract them. So you have to do all, a lot of weird stuff if you want to say, I want to insert the node and nothing else. Also, you can delete nodes with the pre-work or post-work but as zipper lets you say, I want to delete this, and it deletes you and moves you up a level. So that kind of stuff is just calling a function over the zipper, and it's way, way more easier than just traversing the whole tree. So it sounds like it's just a lot easier programmatic access to move around in the tree, and something like Credo could make big, big use of this to easily move things around, add and remove things. 
Yeah, I like that example where you mentioned the like alias, multiple aliases where you have like alias, you know, module dot module, and then like a curly brace full of a bunch of different things. How you can say, hey, you know, let's just flatten that all out into individual alias entries instead of the whole nested one. And just how much easier that would be using that zipper API, which like Cade said, I kind of see that as a like an AST navigation tool and to make it easier to insert nodes at this location and navigate to a different adjacent or nearby location. So I think that that really is like, I think Kate described it really well earlier, just saying that Sorcerer feels like a library that is a foundation piece that a lot of advances in tooling can be built on. So I'm excited just to see this, that you've been working on this, that you've made it open source and that you're able to come on and talk about it and that we can make people aware of this, like other people who are interested in tooling, that they can say, wow, here's something that I can build on top of and maybe even contribute to. So with that, I'm curious, where are you going in the future? What's like, you kind of teased a few things that are coming up. Is there anything else that you can share about upcoming features or where you want to go? Mostly started working on helping people to write the refactoring tools, to start building tools to fix the grid issues, to make some integrations with Elixir LS. Uh, right now, one of the limitations of this sorcerer is that it works with the Elixir formatter. So when you want to output some code, it will use the, opini- the opinionated code that the formatter outputs. But if you wanted to output code that closely resembles the user code, so like those tabular code where you have some code and a lot of spaces to align multiple lines of code like a table, and that would be lost because the formatter doesn't know about it. So one of the things I want to do in the future is to write an alternative formatter that is kind of a non-destructive formatter that respects the user traces in the code. So if you want to use to write a script to change your code, you don't have to worry about a sorcerer of messing up with the formatting and having to resort to some other more complicated find and replace functionality to avoid this issue. So that's one of the features I want to introduce in the in the next few in the next months, but I haven't started yet in yet. So contributions are welcome. Well, Lucas, thank you for coming on and sharing this work that you've been doing with us. I really do appreciate the effort that you've put into it and that you're making yourself available to helping other people who are working on the tooling, like Marlu Saraiva with Surface and Jason Axelson working with the Elixir LS and that you're working on this at all because it is an interesting problem. It's a hard problem. And I think it can do a lot to help the Elixir tooling in general just improve. So if people want to get in touch with you, maybe they want to contribute or they want to just follow the progress of what's going on, where should they go to do that? They can check the Sorcerer GitHub repository. Um, There's there's the issue tracker where I usually put what I want to do next. And there's also a discussion section where people can just jump and ask things about the Sorcerer or GitHub or whatever. Uh, I'm also available on Twitter as Dorgan-1 and in the Discord Elixir server. Great. And we'll have links to all that in the show notes. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. And we hope you'll join us next time on Thinking Elixir.